Wonderful. Well, we're continuing our Acts series. If you're just joining us and you're new to our church and uh, new to your Bible, you probably know enough about the Bible to know that there are four books that account for uh, the life of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus uh, on earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And then there's just one book, although it's a monster book, it's 28 chapters, that narrates uh, the outline, the basic contours of the history of the early church. And it's a terrific book. Uh, we're calling our series, Let's Do It Again, a series in the book of Acts, because we want to have our own book of Acts. We want to imitate uh, the early church. We want to be new and modern in many ways, but in most ways, we want to be old-fashioned and do it like they did it in the book of Acts. And their book of Acts <coughs> was 28 chapters that spanned 30 years. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, God gave uh, me and some of us another 30 years? Some of you have got two books of Acts left in you. And our hope in this series is that each week, week by week, in addition to encountering God and his presence for ourselves through this series, God would ca catch us up collectively and enable us to have our own book of Acts over the next 30 years. And we're, we're in the first uh, chapter, actually the second chapter this week. Jesus has just ascended to heaven. And in the days preceding his ascension to heaven, he's been talking to the disciples between his resurrection and ascension about three main things from Acts 1. <clears throat> the kingdom of God, the mission of God, and the spirit of God. We've just heard now about our giving financially to the mission of God. <clears throat> now we're hearing, hearing about being empowered for the mission of God by the spirit of God. Jesus has now ascended. We pick up the story in Acts uh, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire yard where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Uh, this was a, an Old Testament feast called Pentecost, and it was one of the three feasts in the year when pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem. So you've got lots of people in Jerusalem, representatives of all different tribes and nations. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So something very supernatural was going on. This group in the upper room, 120, were speaking in tongues, and it was actually known languages that different people were hearing. What does this mean? Uh, they were all amazed. Please say amazed. amazed. Say perplexed. Amazed. Saying to one another, what does this mean? They were inquisitive. But others mocking. Please say mocking. They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, nine in the morning. But this is what was offered through the, uttered through the prophet Joel. 
in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall see dream, dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I wish I was a better storyteller. I could go back over and just try and catch you up in the atmosphere. But there were 120 in an upper room. That's probably a, a second story, not very high. And the spirit comes on them. Uh, wind, wind. Separate tongues of fire on heads. And they started to praise God in languages they didn't know, but other people knew them. And the crowd gathers. So imagine that happened here. And imagine a few people driving past see fire and a wind and walkers. Imagine there's a, a walk sponsored run or something on and people gather and then the neighbors start coming. And of course, we're not on the second floor, we're in a yard, but they would gather outside and, and some, some would be amazed, some perplexed, some inquisitive and some mocking. And uh, Peter, maybe I could be Peter. Uh, Peter hears the crowds there and he, he says, he thinks to himself, something remarkable is going on. This is what Jesus said would happen. We should wait for the Spirit. And he, from obviously from the balcony or through the window or something, he speaks to this crowd who gathered. And we learn a bit later in the chapter that there were 3,000 plus people who had gathered. So this was a remarkable spectacle that pulled in the crowds, thousands literally. And Paul, Peter starts to give a, a sermon and he starts by saying what isn't happening. They're not drunk. Because obviously they were free of inhibitions. We'll come to that in a moment. And then he says, this is what happening. what's happening. You, you crowd, you Jews especially, you know the Old Testament. Joel spoke about this. He said, the day will come when God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. That's what's happening today. Then the rest of the sermon is about Jesus. And that's all we're looking at next week. The rest of this message about Jesus, and then he closes out because they said, well, what must we do to be saved? And he says, be back, believe in Jesus, be baptized, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. A remarkable, remarkable outpouring of the Spirit. Let's feed on this short passage with three headings. Heading number one, come thirsty. Some showed up amazed some inquisitive, asking questions, some perplexed, maybe that's you. Maybe this whole Holy Spirit thing perplexes you. And some came mocking, maybe that's you. It's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, crazy Holy Spirit people. Uh, I was in the mocking category when I was age 20, from probably age 13 to age 20, I was in the mocking category and then, then I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I no longer mocked. So what category are you in? Amazed, perplexed, inquisitive, or mocking? Jesus gives one other category that's probably even better. In John 7, two years before this happened, he stood up and cried out on the last and great day of the feast, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He spoke thus concerning the Spirit, says, says John, who wrote that gospel. So Jesus commended thirst repeatedly. The Bible repeatedly commends thirst a longing, a desire for the Holy Spirit. And that's how we're approaching this, this passage today, isn't it? 
not just with an academic intellectual interest, but with a thirst. It's God this, I want this. God this, we want more of this. We come thirsty. Secondly, we come to be changed. I was reflecting on uh, this bunch. Let's just think of the, the 12 apostles um, who were amongst the 120 in the upper room. Think how experienced they were. So they'd been with Jesus up close and personal for three years. They had had front row seats to every miracle. Multiple, multiple miracles, again and again and again. They had heard him speak to them personally, to smaller groups, and to whole multitudes. They had been sent out to preach as the 70. They'd had preaching assignments. They were experienced in prayer. They were experienced in faith. They had come on a journey three years with Jesus. Yet that wasn't enough to embolden them, empower them. That wasn't enough in terms of anointing for them to go out. And you would think it would be. Three years with Jesus. Yet they didn't have the courage. They didn't have the intuition of God inside them in the way that they did have once they were filled with the Spirit. And, and Jesus had already breathed on them. He'd already breathed on them. Right? When he appeared to them behind locked doors, breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit, there was still something that God wanted to give to them. <laughs> Point being, if they needed, they needed the Spirit, how much more us, right? The wind and the fire were not the Holy Spirit. They were manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But they give us some clues into the kind of change that the Spirit can bring to us. Wind brings power. It's about power, isn't it? It's about freshness. Wouldn't it be great to have a bit of a breeze now? It would freshen us. Wind, there's, there's a sense of life. And there's mystery, isn't there? Where's that wind coming from? Fire. Warmth and comfort. It's fire pit season. It's the fall is here. The comfort, the interest of a fire. Warm, comforting. The fire purifies and burns up things in a way that we can't. And it, fire is significant. In the Old Testament, whenever God showed up, fire was usually involved. So Moses and the burning bush, God spoke to him out of the bush. Uh, the pillar of fire that led the Israelites by night. God on Mount Sinai. Uh, Ezekiel had a, a vision of God, and there's just fire everywhere. Friends, the revolution of Pentecost is that every one of us can be a burning bush. That was these, these tongues of fire on each person. They, they knew the Old Testament. They would have joined very quickly. God is coming on each person. My story in terms of things of the Spirit is simply that the Spirit has made the things of God a fiery reality in my life. That would be the one sentence summary. The Spirit makes the things of God a fiery reality. It's not that they weren't real before, but it makes them feel real in a fiery way. So I, w I grew up in, in, a, in a home that was into the Father and into the Son and into the Holy Scriptures, but not so much the Spirit. 
And then I went away to university and I went to a church and I was like the Bible guy, the sensible Bible guy. And, and I went along to this church with my best friend, Scott, uh, who I had led to the Lord. I just want to be really clear of this. I led him to the Lord four years previously, but he went to college a year ahead of me. So I get there and I go along to the church that my disciple, Scott, goes to. <laughs> Basically, I was blown out the water because it was a church that loved the word but there was a presence of the Spirit amongst and in individuals that after three weeks of being like this, Mr. Grumpy Pants, I just couldn't deny. And I basically gave, gave in. But Mr. Bible wasn't reading his Bible. I was just watching and saying experientially, some people seem to be more full of the Spirit than I am. And this church collectively is way more full of the Spirit than any church I've ever seen before. Exper not biblically. Experientially, I was saying, I think there's something here. I saw. I felt. Then I went to the Bible because I was Mr. Bible. So I'm going to check this out. And I knew because I had been taught that the Holy Spirit comes on us in a massive way at conversion. Please say conversion. The Bible says we're born again by the Spirit, made new by the Spirit of God. I knew that and I confirmed that. Yes, there is a wholesale regeneration by the Spirit at conversion. Check. But what I was seeing was something beyond that in terms of life of the Spirit. In my friend Scott, my disciple, <laughs> who has now leapt ahead of me. So I read more and I discovered just plain narrative. It's not even open for contrary interpretations. It's just plain narrative and acts. Again and again, we see Christians who were regenerate by the Spirit, then having just what I'm going to call a major filling of the Spirit. So here in the book of Acts, they were already believers. John Piper writes about that. They were already believers by this time, and the Spirit comes on them. And we could just say, yeah, that was just the first time the Spirit came. From then on, anyone who got born again didn't just get regenerate by the Spirit, but got this major empowering by the Spirit. But that's not the story repeatedly in Acts. So Paul, he's on the road to Damascus, and uh, Jesus appears to him. Je Paul calls him Lord. It's where he got converted. He obediently goes and waits in the city, and then three days later, Ananias comes and lays hands on him that he might be able to see and to be filled with the Spirit. So that's interesting. Paul becomes regenerate on the road, but then it's in the city three days later that he gets filled with the Spirit, and God sends a man to him specifically for that. Samaria. Deacon Philip goes down to Samaria, preaches the gospel, and many people become Christians. Acts 8.14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them yet, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. 
So it's just, it's just plain narrative there. Many came to faith in Samaria, believed in the Lord Jesus. That's faith. You, becoming a Christian is believing, putting your faith in Jesus. It's not being filled with the Spirit. It's putting your faith in Jesus. Peter and John went on a special trip to say, have you also been filled with the Spirit to these converts? And then something similar happens when Paul gets to Ephesus in Acts 19. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul meets some Christians. He assumes they're born again, disciples. And he says, I just want to check. When you put your faith in Jesus and crossed the line of faith and became Christians, did you also receive the Holy Spirit? They said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So the very question that Paul asks of Christians presupposes something, doesn't it? The, the question tells us, just plain reading, plain narrative, tells us that Paul knew that there was some extra empowering of the Spirit that God intended for believers. This is the same Paul who wrote articulately in his epistles about the regenerating work of the Spirit when we come to faith. So Paul wasn't just the Pentecostal guy. You gotta have your experience. He was the, you are thoroughly struck by the Spirit and regenerate by the Spirit at conversion. So I, the Bible guy, finally read the Bible on this stuff. I also read, not just about the Spirit at conversion and the Spirit major fillings, filling, fillings, I also read, very encouragingly, about ongoing fillings. I didn't see anyone chasing the Holy Spirit. Oh, I need another experience. But I read in the Bible again and again, so-and-so, who was already converted, had already been empowered with a massive filling. So-and-so, filled by the Spirit, stood up and said. Or so-and-so, filled by the Spirit. Or Acts 4, the Spirit came on them when they were gathered in different places the Spirit coming. And then I read uh, Paul talking to the Ephesians saying, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. He's writing to Christians. There was, it wouldn't have been necessary for him to say that if the, finished, if the Spirit did nothing else in our lives after conversion or even after a substantial filling. But he said, don't get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. So I went, I mean, I was, I'm giving you the paraphrased version, thought, oh, I'm so pleased I was right about the phenomenal work of the Spirit at conversion. Embarrassed that I was wrong about Christians needing to be filled, but I get it now and I'm all in. And then thrilled that I don't have to look back wistfully to the day that I once was filled but I've got other be being filled moments and days ahead of me. Not that I chase them, but if it's in the Bible, I want to say yes to it. And I also read what we read today, uh, yesterday, last Sunday. <laughs> Jesus said, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Question, has the gospel yet reached the ends of the earth? So we still need to be empowered for that mission.
because that seemed to be the primary main stated reason, the subsidiary benefits, of course, but the stated reason is the Spirit will come on you to enable you to do the mission. And I just, I just said, there's not even a question here. Get, celebrate the Spirit at conversion. Receive the Spirit post-conversion and then keep receiving the Spirit post-conversion. How wonderful that we're not left to, you know, stir ourselves up, but we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then I changed. And I've just logged some of the ways I changed. Remember, I didn't... Things that were there became a fiery reality, so I became more courageous. Honestly, PJ before and after being filled with the Spirit, less courageous before, more courageous afterwards. My passion for the mission. It's like it can be pretty discouraging, the mission of God sometimes, right? I, I, I can't get discouraged for long because there's something in here. The Spirit is given to empower us to be witnesses to Jesus. That's the mission of God. It's like a... I'm trying to think of a noise that the Spirit could make in me. It's like Iron Man. You know, his... No, metaphors just always fall flat, but the Spirit is a tangible... Gurgling away, bubbling away, flickering away. I can't get discouraged about the mission of God for long. Um, I find the Holy Spirit helps me hate sin more. So I feel the fuller I am of the Spirit, the more I think sin is yuck. The less full of the Spirit, the more I can think sin is, hmm, interesting. Paul said, keep in step with the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's something about keeping in step with the Spirit, which we do better when we're fuller of the Spirit, that just helps us not gratify the desires of the flesh. Ezekiel in the Old Testament, he said, the Spirit of God prophesying, like Joel, the Spirit of God will come on you and he will cause you. Please say, cause me. He'll actually cause me to walk in the way of God's commands. So, the way of the devil's commands, there. The way of God's commands, spirit, <laughs> this way. Cause, is it, it causes, causes me. I want to lean this way. No, it causes me. This is very, very good news. This is why we get so excited about the, the spirit. We, we, we go, woo, when we know we're preaching on the spirit. Not because we're nutty charismatics. It's because this is the, this is the most fantastic news. The third member of the Trinity indwelling us. It's not a hopeless mission we're on. It's not a hopeless mission. I will always be depressed. I will always be discouraged. We will never spread the gospel. No, the Spirit of God comes to change and to empower us. I've felt, I don't think I've doubted my salvation since I was filled with the Spirit. I knew cerebrally, biblically, that those who come to Jesus, he will never cast out. But you can kind of doubt that inside you. But then the Spirit comes inside us. Paul said to the Romans, it's through the Spirit we cry out that we are sons of God. One of the Spirit's special works is to go flicker, whatever it is in me, reminding me you have a Father in heaven. PJ, you have a Father in heaven. It makes it a fiery reality. 
You know the great illustration, I forgot who, who gave it, father and son walking down the street. The son knows he's his, the son of his father. Hand in hand, they're walking down the street. The little son knows, I am the son of my father. I've been told I'm the son of my father. It's on my birth certificate. I am the son of my father. But <laughs> then the father stops and picks him up and loves him and tousles his hair and kisses him and whispers in his ear, I love you, you're my son puts him down and the boy walks on. Now he knows. What was here, what was here has become a fiery reality in his heart. I think I've, I think I've borne more fruit of the Spirit. I think the gifts of the Spirit that I have have more rocket fuel the fuller I am of the Spirit. More fruit, more gifts, more sap, more fruit more spirit, more power to the gifts. I also learned how to speak in tongues. For me, it was like wading through treacle to learn how to speak in tongues. Because I, you know, I had some friends who just like went off. Someone like touches their head and they go, it's like, oh, shut up, will you? How does it come so easy to you? So for me, it was like learning a language very slowly which is actually how I've learned any language in my life, like French at high school. And, and the breakthrough came for me to realize that tongues is a proper language for prayer and praise, just one that I don't understand. So you know if you don't speak German, but I teach you a German phrase, like Ich bin Peter Johann Schmidt Achtung schnell. And I made you say that, Tim. You could say it, you wouldn't understand what you were saying. It doesn't mean it's not a proper language. It means it's German, and you're speaking it though you don't understand it. And for me, that helped hugely, because tongues is a language understood in heaven, not understood by me on earth. That doesn't mean I'm making it up. It means it's a proper language, I just don't understand it. And it's helped me greatly in prayer and praise. Thirdly, come for power. That was my story. Hope it helped you. Thirdly, come for power. So there's three main categories. We get regenerate by the Spirit. Then the Spirit helps us in an ongoing sanctification. And then there are these special power fillings. And I think we have to call them that because, well, this one, Jesus said, you will be clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power. And then with repeat other fillings, the result was usually power in some way. And it's interesting that they were accused of being drunk. So it's power. But they were accused of being drunk. I don't think they were staggering around, you know, acting like dr drunk people. That's not the feel of it. They were sitting, wind, fire, speaking out the praises of God in different languages. I think the drunkenness thing was not stupid behavior as much as joyful inhibition. Le uh, jo joy is inhibition? Lack. Lack of inhibition. So th that's what happens apparently when you get drunk. You lose your inhibitions. But that's because reality is numbed. 
So, ah, 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 I will speak freely. I will tell jokes that I wouldn't usually tell. I will laugh louder than I would. It's like I've lost my inhibitions. When the spirit comes on us, not so much to make us, and I mean, you might get floppy. We look elsewhere. We see people sometimes fall over when they're filled with the spirit. Makes sense. You and I touch a light electric current. We go, <laughs> if the current of God touches us, we may well get shaky. But still, I don't think this was a falling around drunkenness thing. When we get filled with the spirit, it's not reality that gets minimized. Reality gets maximized that Jesus is real. He can change. He is in me. He is powerful. And there's a similar freeing. So we have a lack of inhibitions. The, 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 the person that God empowered, made us to really be can come forth and be because you've got the power source of God inside of you. That's a great help in just general living, but also being specifically a witness for the Lord. D.L. Moody. I'll let him have the last word. He was a preacher, but he wasn't filled with the Spirit. And then he wrote this one day in the city of New York. Oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love. I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance.